Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Well, this evening we're in Second uh, Samuel chapter 13. Interesting chapter. We've just worked through the uh, Bathsheba incident, so we've worked our way through that and uh, saw, remember, that uh, forgiveness was instantaneous. Recall that. Forgiveness was instantaneous. But though there was forgiveness... Once there was confession, forgiveness was instantaneous with the Lord. But one thing we did notice was there were uh, consequences to sinful choices, right? So there was a consequence or a ramification, a result. Something transpired from, from that choice and that decision. And so we kind of watched some of that play out as um, David and Bathsheba lost that child. He was born and then shortly thereafter then died. And uh, David was told that was going to be one of the things that was going to happen. That isn't all the ramifications of sin, though. That wasn't it. It wasn't like, okay, you've, you've, it's not like penance, you know what I mean, where you just, you pay your penance and then now you go on. It, it doesn't work that way. There's things that go into motion from, from sinful choices. There's patterns that are in place. There's things that are going on that lead to getting to that sinful choice, and there's things that are involved with that. And a couple of thoughts with this as we get into this tonight is we find out that this ends up being something that kind of starts going down the line into his family. So it's not just affecting him, but it's affecting his family. And so, and that's often the case, isn't it? Sin, a lot of times we think it just, it's just, a personal matter in that, but it's not. It, it affects the body of Christ that, that we're a part of. It affects, you know, the, the family. It affects the, the marriage. It affects the kids. It's just, it's got a horrible, horrible chain reaction. So as we get into chapter 13, kind of some more sobering results from sin and how it continues to kind of play out because of what had happened uh, with David and uh, Bathsheba, and how it just continued to kind of play out. Now, whatever other little patterns were in David's life that maybe we can detect, or we don't really detect, we can detect some of them, but some of those are in motion in his life, and you can see them kind of working out. And we'll talk about that as we get into this tonight. It's, it's really fairly sober, but, but just a good word for us to think through. After this, Absalom, the son of David, in verse 1 of chapter 13, had a lovely sister, Absalom, David's son, had a lovely sister. So Absalom and this gal are brother and sister. So they're, they're kin, right? So you just got this. Because, you know, David didn't just have one wife, okay? So, but they're brother and sister, Absalom and uh, this gal, as we get into it, whose name was Tamar, Tamar, are blood, brother and sister, 100%. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So now this is a half-brother, right? Amnon is a half-brother to Tamar. And he has 
affections for her. Now, what we're going to find is, did he love her the way we understand? This is just a word that's being used, that this is his sense that he loves her. But what we're going to find is there's a big distinction between what's portrayed as love and lust. And it's really important that we see this because it's played out in front of us and been played out in front of us through the movies and through media and through literature and different things over the years played out in so many ways that it's gotten pretty convoluted in our thinking what is really love and what is lust. Very different, the the truth and the concept in that. So it says here that really he loved her, but really it's just that he lusted after her. Amnon, and the only reason we can say that is because when we read on, we find out that's really how it plays out. That's what's going on. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. So he's just got these strong uh, feelings for her, but he can't really doesn't have opportunity to act upon any of that or anything. And so, but Amnon had uh, a friend. Now, I would circle that and put a question mark, okay, and when we read about this. I really would. I, it's got, mine's got a, a box around it in red with a red question mark. That's the way mine looks. So, But Amnon had a box with a question mark friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shema, David's brother. So, Kind of also a, a relation. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. Note that. This guy's a crafty guy. He's, he's a kind of a schemer, basically. We read about this type of person in Proverbs. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thin day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So he's kind of confiding. I I think there's a lot of things in this, okay? Not the least of which is he's confiding in the one, someone that he probably shouldn't be confiding in. That's one thing that's worthy of noting. He's confiding in someone that's really not uh, a good counselor. So I think who we interact with to seek counsel matters. I think that's important. And also then... Uh, the type of counsel now that he's going to get because of the character of this person, we should be a little more observant maybe in observing what is the character of that person before we go and confide in that person, much less than receive counsel from that person. Does that make sense? You know, we need to be wise about that because we have a lot, every, all of us have a lot of interaction with a lot of different people, but we need to be wise about this because let's see what kind of counsel he gives him. Verse five, so Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. Well, right there, this is already bad. You know, he's getting him to do something fake. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So this is an evil plan that this guy comes up with. And this is his counsel to uh, Amnon. He tells him, hey, this is, this, is, this is what you ought to do. This will probably work. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. So he does exactly, not only does he listen to this guy, but he actually does what the guy tells him to do. Okay, so now not only is he seeking 
counsel from a crafty person, which is probably unwise to be, not probably, it is absolutely unwise to do that to begin with. This guy's really not his friend because he's not really uh, even telling him, hey, listen, dude, this, that's a, this is a bad idea. You didn't stop thinking this to begin with. So you got to start, it's good for us to look at all these different sides of this because it's multifaceted. And when you look at the different sides, you can see, well, maybe I'm in a situation where someone's come to me and ask for some input about something. Should we encourage them to do something worldly? Should we encourage them to do something that's just really ultimately potentially destructive? Should we encourage them to do things that fulfill the lust of the flesh? Is, is that our place to do that? Is it, I'm talking brothers and sisters, right? I'm talking Christians to Christians. Is that what we should be doing with other people around us? Whether they're heathen or not, is that what we should be doing? Is that the input we should have? I hope not. That's not the input I want to have in anybody's life, right? So now you're going to be ostracized to some extent, right? Because you're going to be telling something you know that it's not what they want to hear. So we got to decide. You're going to play right into the hand and just be a part of, you know, evil? Or are you going to stand up for righteousness? This is the times in which we live, and I think we can, are confronted by this as believers. So when you turn this, sometimes you got to, when you read these stories, sometimes you got to turn them around a little bit, you know, and look at them all the way around, because they've got a lot of different angles to them to see and just say, oh, okay, well, i got to be wise then. If I'm a person that's giving input, what is my input? Is my input godly? Is it just worldly? Is it, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. What a great idea. Lovely, you know. I mean, is that really true? You know, no, it's not. So let's roll on. We could camp on that too long. Let's go. Verse 7. And David uh, sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Now, now David just, you know, he loves his kids. He's not seeing anything bad going down. He's not, he doesn't know this. This is a crafty plot by others. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took a flour and kneaded it and, and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and, and placed them out before him, and he, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, sister. So he's wanting to have sexual relations with her. But she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Now, this is, this is great lessons to learn, okay? Great lessons to learn. She is appealing to a logic, you know, she's trying to say something that kind of makes sense, right? That's what she's trying to say, you know, trying to reason with him. I watch people. I, I am amazed. And I know some of you, I, a lot of people would be upset with me for what I'm about to say. But I really find this an amazing thing. I watch people continually at the grocery store and many other places around getting down and really trying to reason with their two-year-old at the grocery store. I, I'm just constantly amazed. Now, I think they must have miracle children. I was a part of raising three kids, and mine at that age, reasoning did not work. It just didn't work, ever, not once. Now, 
I understand it seems really kind, but are you really helping that young person? Really? Because they don't have a real reasoning process yet to speak of. They seem to understand other things much more clearly. That's what I found. And I don't know. I don't know. I think it worked out pretty good. From my experience, it worked out pretty good. Sometimes the Board of Education needs to meet with the seat of knowledge, you know? And that's just, it seems to go good. They're better off. You've absolved them from guilt, from what they've done, and you move on. But this, uh, this appealing to reason or to logic in this situation, the thing is, is lust doesn't function off of logic. Lust doesn't function off of logic. So lust isn't going to respond to logic. Yeah, we, we get hung up here because the lust issue is sexual, okay? But if you take that lust issue, evil desire, fleshy evil desire, that can be for money, that can be for position, that can be for us so many different things. So we got to see it for lust really as the core issue, even though it's manifesting itself in a sexual situation, okay? Which oftentimes it does. I understand that. But that it, lust doesn't always equate sex. It, it just doesn't. It can be other things, okay? So we got to remember when we're kind of processing that, and it's just evil desire is really the, the drive mechanism within that. I like verse 13. It says, and I, she's again still saying, hey, this is how this is going to play out for me. And I, where could I take my shame? If, if you do this, what, what, where does that leave me? And as for you, you, now she's not, not just me, but what about you? You would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. He says, look, it, this is going to end in disaster. If, if this is something that you really want to do, go talk to your dad. Yeah, this was, these were things that did, arrangements like this did occur in their culture and their time. So go do that, you know, if, if this is your, your desire. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. So he raped her. This is the thing. Lust functions on this way. So let's think about lust real quickly. Lust demands its own way. Lust is selfish and selfishly motivated. And lust forces and then lust hates. It's a consistent pattern. Lust is, is totally self-motivated. Now, compare that to what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. You can just go through and read that list of the things that love is versus lust. Very um, opposite uh, uh, parts of the spectrum as far as the understanding of that. So as far as this goes, now, again, this is something that's playing out from, and it gets worse as we go through this, because of uh, David's life, you know, um, about sowing and reaping. You remember Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap the corruption. You reap the things of the flesh and ultimately corruption. You sow to the Spirit, you reap the things of the Spirit. And so it's important. 
You know, oftentimes we think, oh, well, I've, I've done something and I've sown to the flesh and now I'm reaping that. The key is, is don't then just keep sowing because now you're just going to keep extending this time out where you're going to keep reaping more and more flesh problems and, and stuff. So I always say, hey, okay, great. That's a horrible thing. That's a bummer. And that's going to have ramifications. But don't keep doing those things that are going to create more ramifications. You see, it's better to start doing things in the Lord, walking in the Spirit, and then you're going to start eventually reaping the benefits of a spiritual life, of following the Lord, doing the things that are pleasing to God. So this is important as, we, as this kind of plays out. James uh, chapter 1, just kind of jumping in, into a couple of New Testament things with this. James chapter 1 has some interesting things to say. Uh, verse 12, uh, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for if he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But, now, verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, so now this is um, New King James. If you read this in your King James Version, most of the time it will say lust. When lust is, has first conceived, it gets so evil desire, lust, it, it, they're transferable uh, word exchange, okay? So when desire has conceived or lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So the lustful thought is one thing. That can be just, you know, Lord, boy, I don't know where that came from. I've got a sinful flesh and I just ask you to forgive me. And you roll on. You, you don't. But sin, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin then, if you allow it to manifest itself, it leads to sin, okay? Because everybody, every one of us, no matter whether we like to think this about ourselves or not, things fly in and out of our minds and our lives. I mean, in our hearts and minds. It's our reality, right? That we're human beings, this stuff happens. We gotta be real, it's all a bummer, but that's life, okay? But what do you do with it is the issue. See, if you just say, wow, Lord, I just ask you to wash and cleanse my mind and my heart, we're going to talk about that a little bit further as we get into it tonight. But this idea here is that the evil desire, the lustful desire, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Verse 15, death. Sure, sure thing. When lust is first conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings death. So, that is a spiritual law. That is a spiritual law. Now, David has been forgiven, right? You and I are forgiven in the Lord. We're washed and cleansed, we're forgiven of our sin. But when we sin, when we do a sinful act, there is going to be ramifications, there's going to be results to that. That it's just, and it's something that's in motion, and it's a spiritual law. And sometimes, I mean, I've, I've had times where, man, I just have pleaded, God, be gracious and merciful to me, you know? I was not thinking right. And it maybe wasn't a real big deal or whatever, but to me it was. And I, I've, I felt horrible, you know, whether it was something I said or the way I handled something or something. I felt horrible over it, and I, I confess that, and I give that over to the Lord. But there's still going to be those results sometimes in those things. I mean, I think this is why 
you know, the Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. The emotion of anger is not sin in and of itself. It's when you start flying out of your mouth the things you ought not to be saying that are hurtful and cutting. Those, once they're said, they're implanted in people's hearts and their lives, and you cannot reverse it. You've got to plead for the grace of the living God because you can't fix that. Once it's gone out, it's done, and it hurts, and you and I know it. We've been, unfortunately, felt it, and we've also been the ones that have sent it. It's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And we don't want to keep repeating that. We take so light of it. Well, that's just the way I am. You know, I'm just hothead. You know, no. Get over yourself. Put it to the cross. Crucify it with its passion and desire. Be done with it. We're going to talk about that a little bit further when we get into this. Because if we can't, then what are we doing here? This is hopeless. Close your Bible and go home. Go to the tavern, let's all get high and forget about it. Because that is the Epicurean philosophy. That's how the rest of the world is living around us. Party, carry on, do whatever, because for tomorrow we die. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, it's just none of this really matters. Well, but it does. You see, the Bible says it does matter. The Bible says our actions, our words, our lives really do matter. They represent something. Isn't that radical? I mean, it's really a cool thing. Your life matters. God's got a purpose and God's got a plan. Whose hand am I in? Who's in control of my life? What am I yielded to? All those things. We're going to talk about that tonight as we get into this a little bit further. Verse 15. This gets, look at this. Okay, remember, he loves her. He just has to have her. He's just, and he tells his uncle or his, yeah, I think it's his uncle, but he tells his, Jonadab, oh my gosh, I just, uh, you know, and all this stuff. But then Jonadab gives him this great idea of evilness to do and to trickery. And he goes ahead and does all this. And now David falls prey to the plan and is a part of this in a sense because he lets her come over. And then he rapes his half-sister. And then look at verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. Man, gals, young gals in particular, underline that in your Bible, verse 15. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Again, it doesn't... It doesn't, reasoning doesn't fit, does it? You you see the pattern? Reasoning doesn't fit. Then he called his servants who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to the message. I know that God is doing a work in your life. I know that as you hear his word, he's doing something in your heart, and he wants to begin that good work in your life as he's done in many of our lives, and he wants to forgive you of your sin. Maybe some of you are just carrying that weight of sin, and you just want to be forgiven. Well, God wants to forgive you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God loves you. He wants to forgive you of all your sin. All you have to do is pray this simple prayer of faith and begin this new journey with Jesus. Again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you, and God will forgive you. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin. You know exactly where I've been and what's been going on in my life, and I want to begin a new life in you. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior, and that I would begin this new journey with you. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might live a life that would please you and bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.